Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue studying God's Word together. On today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is sharing sermon number three in our series over Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. But before we get to that, I want to take this opportunity to invite you to come and worship with us at Calvary. We're located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and would love the opportunity to to meet you face-to-face. If you have any questions, you can visit calvaryfayetteville.com, call us at 479-442-4634, or send us an email at info at calvaryfayetteville.com. Now, in the days ahead, this is releasing right before Christmas, we are having a few things that I would love for you to be a part of. On December the 24th at 4.30 in the afternoon, we'll be celebrating a special candlelight service at Calvary. On Christmas morning, we will only have one worship service at 10 o'clock as we celebrate and worship on Christmas Day together. Then on New Year's Day, there will only be one service as well at 10 o'clock in the morning. So no Sunday school on either of those days, but it's a chance for us to worship together as we celebrate uh, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, again, Pastor Kirk is preaching through Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And today, he's looking at our everlasting Father. Let's listen together. Now we want to uh, worship God through His Word. So I invite your attention to Isaiah chapter 9. If you uh, need to read out of one of the Pew Bibles, page number 573. I hope you will bear with me uh, this morning with um, my somewhat uh, raspy voice. Few words in any language evoke the kind of feelings as we have when we think of the word Father. Some of us, maybe someone watching uh, on our uh, broadcast today, perhaps someone here. Someone will feel a sense of loss this Christmas season, either because we had fathers who were wonderful, but who are no longer with us, or because we have some unfulfilled longings for the kind of father that we never knew. Perhaps it is one of the reasons why The Christmas season for many people is rather um, emotional, even maybe depressing, and what should be a time of celebration. And so we come to something today in our uh, theme for uh, these uh, services leading up to Christmas, this Advent season. We come to read of the birth of a child whose name is called Everlasting Father. And because he is an everlasting father to us, we experience his care, his protection, and his provision for our lives. We are safe because he is our everlasting father 
and something that we can only know by faith at this point, but we can rest assured that we will be satisfied for all eternity because of who he is. Of all the names that are attributed to Jesus, some 260 plus in the Bible, of all the names attributed to Jesus, Everlasting Father is probably the most intriguing and possibly at least of these four in our text, the one that we understand the least. I mean, when the Bible tells us he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, we pretty well have an idea what that means to our lives. There is someone who has the wisdom and has a plan for our lives and will direct us if we are willing uh, to follow him. And that word wonderful is not just an adjective saying, oh, he's a wonderful counselor. It is a word that implies supernatural. The word wonder is a, a descriptor for God and only God is someone who is wonderful, supernatural, almighty. We heard last week from Pastor Dan that, that he is our mighty God. And I think maybe, although we have seen maybe just the tiniest bit of his unlimited power, he is an omni, uh, omnipotent God. He is the ultimate power of the universe. And we know he is a mighty God, although maybe we've never seen with our own eyes that power unleashed. But he is someone who has the power and the authority to execute the plans he has for this world and for your life and for mine. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll talk about the Prince of Peace on Christmas Day. And it reminds us of the inner peace that he brings to us and what will be the total and complete peace when we are in his presence for all eternity. But when we come to the name Everlasting Father, which is by far the most intimate and warm name of the four, we often have some misconceptions. We often think it means something that it doesn't. It is by far the name that has the greatest bit of intrigue in it. And I want to talk about that this morning. As I said before, as our eternal father, this evokes deep feelings within us. Either because we no longer have that earthly father that we treasured so much. Or because the father that we know or knew never measured up to maybe what a father is supposed to be and all that God can use him to be. So the question is, how can Jesus the Messiah, the second person of the Godhead, remember, Father, Son, Spirit, how can the second person of the Godhead be called Everlasting Father? That's the question today. And so what we're gonna do is I'm gonna to talk to you about what that does not mean, then what it does mean, and what's important about that 
for you and me. Very simple, very straightforward. But before we get to those points, let's read our text. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. All right. His name shall be called. This one who is a child born. As I said a couple of weeks ago, that happens thousands of times all over the world every single day. Nothing unusual. There is somebody right now giving birth to a baby in Washington Regional Hospital or Mercy Hospital or the Women's Hospital. This is not out of the norm. But this child that was born, this one that's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, this one who was born 2,000 years ago was one of a kind. This was God become flesh. And for this child to be, be born, that's why the verse says, unto us a son has been given. The father had to surrender up his son for this child to be born. And that makes him one of a kind. So when we call him Everlasting Father, I need to explain to you what this is not saying. And I want to say to you that Isaiah is not confusing Jesus the Messiah with the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. He's not saying that they are just uh, the same person. There's no distinction. That's not what he's saying. Now, I know that Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I know that the Bible teaches us that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that they comprise a single God. But understand, don't slip into the, to the heresy that the first church had to deal with back in the first century of a heresy that is called modalism. Have you ever heard that word, modalism? M-O-D-A-L-I-S-M. And there were those people who decided from what the scripture uh, had to say, I and the Father are one, Jesus shall be called everlasting Father, that there is one person, one person who is God. And sometimes he expresses himself as God the Father. Sometimes he expresses himself as the Son, God made flesh. Other times he expresses himself as the Holy Spirit, but this is one person. 
That's modalism. It is a heresy, and the early church fathers had to deal with it and combat it. It may sound to you like it's a hair's breadth worth of difference between modalism and Trinitarianism. We are Trinitarian. We believe that God is expressed in three distinct persons. And someone would say, well, what's the difference? It may sound like very much the same thing to you and me sitting here, but when you begin to follow those thoughts out, they get miles apart and they lead you, if you uh, buy into that heresy, into all kinds of other problems. We won't go into that this morning, but understand that the Bible teaches the doctrine of the Trinity, that God exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And these three are one in agreement. They are one in their nature of holiness. All three of them comprise and are composed of the attributes of God. They are sovereign. They are righteous. They are just. They are eternal. They are love. They are omniscient. They are omnipotent. They are omnipresent. They are complete truthfulness, and they are never changing. But understand that at the baptism of Jesus is where you can see all three persons of the Trinity, or at least here all three persons. There is Jesus, the son who is beginning his ministry in human form being baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. And there is the Holy Spirit descending like a dove to rest upon him. And there is this voice that everyone heard coming out of the heavens. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We are Trinitarian uh, believers in Christ. And that's not what this verse is saying. It's not telling us that Jesus is exactly the same as the Father. They are just one person in two different expressions. That's what it's not saying. Well, if that's what it's not saying, then what is it saying? That has to be the next question. And I think in order to understand the term everlasting Father... We've got to look at both words. One of them is an adjective. It's describing the other, the noun. There is everlasting father. And let's consider those in the reverse form. Let's consider father first and seek to understand what it means. And I want to say to you this. Father is not a term here describing his character, meaning the father in heaven. But rather... It is, or it is describing character. It's not describing the role or the person of the Father. It's describing what Jesus is like, what he will be like, what his character will be like, what he will do. It's not saying that God the Father has become flesh. It's not the role of the Father. It is the role of the Son. And what is his character like? Isaiah does not have the Trinity in mind when he's talking about the Messiah and calling him everlasting father. It's not the Messiah's role within the Godhead, but the Messiah's character towards us that Isaiah has in mind. He will be like a father to his people. 
Now we know him to be our brother, right? He is the son of God. We are made sons of God. We, we cry out to him and we look at him as our elder brother. That is the relationship as Christians we have. But he will be like a big brother who fulfills the work of the father in providing for us, in caring for us, in uh, protecting us. He is the one who is on our side. Sam Storms, Pastor Sam Storms, calls it this. He says, this phrase, everlasting father, is a descriptive analogy pointing to Christ's character. He is fatherly. He is father-like in his treatment of us. What we have here is a description and a designation of a quality of Jesus in reference to his people. He is your everlasting father. He is the one who will walk beside you. He is the one who will seek to uh, provide for you. He will act as though like a father towards his children. Now, to help explain that, I know that may be hard to grasp, but turn over to Psalm 103, would you? You can leave Isaiah. We've already read what we need to get out of Isaiah. He will be called Everlasting Father. We'll spend the rest of this morning and the time we have looking at Psalm 103. Please turn there. You need to lay your eyes on these verses for yourself. <clears throat> Psalm 103, <clears throat> verses 13 and 14 say this. As a father, or like a father, shows compassion to his children, so the Lord, that's a designation for Jesus, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are what? Dust. Like a father shows compassion to his children, so Jesus shows compassion to those who fear him. Now those words were preceded by these words. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now keep your Bible open to Psalm 103. I'll bring your attention to some other verses. But going back to verse 13, I, I like this out of the King James Version where it talks about how he shows compassion, steadfast love to his children. The King James says, as a father pitieth his children. Now, nobody wants someone's pity, right? That makes you feel like less of a person. Well, guess what? You are less of a person. You're a sinner and so am I. And we need God's pity. And God's pity comes toward us. 
his compassion, his love, his mercy, his pity is shown to us. Why? Because he remembers our frame. He remembers and knows how we are put together. He knows what sinners we are. He knows how broken inside and outside we are. He knows how desperate we need someone to have compassion and have pity and have favor towards us. Understand, think of it like this. Every father views his children in a way that he doesn't view anyone else's children. Would you agree with me on that? Every mother as well. You view your children as different uh, than anyone else's children. On your best day, you will never view anyone else's child the way you view your own child. You may admire someone else's child. You may compliment them. You may do all manner of things to them and say about them, but it is a characteristic of fatherhood that when you look at your own children, there is something in that relationship that cannot be duplicated outside the bounds of that relationship. It's all contained in that Hebrew word, as a father pitieth his children. He doesn't pity those who are not his children. He pities those who are. It's empathy. It's compassion. It's full of every other desire and emotion of the heart. Now listen. You can get mad at your own kids, isn't that right? Every once in a while. I don't know how John and Mandy could ever get mad at those sweet little twins and that little Annabelle. But uh, I think probably they do. But if they haven't yet, you guys will. Let me just let you know. When they become teenagers, all bets are off. Just have patience long enough to see them get beyond teenage years, right? But understand, when you look at your own children, no matter what they've done, no matter how they may have failed you or embarrassed you or whatever, there is a tenderness, there is a compassion, there is a pity and a love for them that cannot be broken. And it's saying, as a father feels that towards his children, Jesus feels that towards you. He has that fatherly type of love for you, his brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. Now, what about the word everlasting? It's not just talking about the fact that Jesus or God is eternal. He had no beginning, has no end. That's certainly true. But it's speaking of the never-ending nature of his love and care. That's what it's qualifying. He is an everlasting father. And he will be that way forever towards you, no matter what you do or where you go. 
It means you will never be outside of his feelings of love for you. This is the never-ending nature of his care. And if you were to put this in a little bit different words, think of it like this. He shall be called our forever father. Our forever father. His care, protection, and provision is never-ending. It goes on and on forever. He has taken on as our big brother the charge and the responsibility of parental and paternal care for you and me and he is never going to abandon that. There need be no fear. Listen to me. There need be no fear that this father will ever leave home. There need be no fear that this individual will abandon his responsibilities somewhere along the line. There need be no fear that he will die, pass away, and no longer be there for you. There need be no fear. Why? Because he is a father forever. Does that make a little bit of sense? Can you understand that? It's not saying he and the father are the same person. It is saying he is like the father in the sense that he feels that fatherly compassion and pity for you and me. And he'll never abandon that responsibility forever. He will be to us our forever father, our father forever. So what does that mean to you and me? Here's the application. What does that mean to you and me. And I believe there's three things at least that come to mind. First of all, it means that he forgives us completely. He forgives us completely. Not part of the way, not half the way, not three quarters of the way, not 90% of the time, not 99% of the time, but he forgives us completely. Look back to Psalm 103. Look at what it says in verse 3. He is the one who forgives what? All of your iniquity. What does verse 4 say? He is the one who redeems your life from the pit. The psalmist David said, He brought me up out of the miry clay. And as the old hymn says, He brought me up out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. He established my goings. He pointed me in the right way. He redeems us from the pit. Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. If Jesus dealt with you according to your sins, what would happen to you? You need not worry about it because you'd already been just obliterated. If God dealt with you according to your sins, you would have no hope in this world, and neither would I. But he doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. You know, that's one of the hardest things for me to grasp and apply to my life. Because I'm so put out at myself... And there are times that I, I hate my flesh and my mind and my heart so much. There are times that, 
like Paul cried out in the book of Romans, oh, sinful man that I am, oh, wretched man that I am, who will ever deliver me from the body of this death? And I think Christ must be so disappointed in me. He must be so ticked off at me. He must be just having to bite his tongue not to say what he wants to say to me. He must be having to really hold back because I know that he's so mad at me and so put out at me and so upset at me. But then what about verse 13 of Psalm 103? That as a father has compassion on his child, pitieth his child. So Jesus feels that towards us. When I sin and when you sin, we break his heart. He weeps over us. He loves us. He calls us every moment of every day back to himself. And yet because of our guilt and because of our shame, we try to hide from him like Adam and Eve tried to hide from God in the garden. You can't hide from God. And moreover, there's no need to because your sin and that failure and that, that hatefulness, that attitude, that accusing, that racism, whatever it is inside of us, it's already been bought and paid for. It's already been forgiven if you're a child of God and he has separated that sin from you. You see, he's, he is one who forgives us completely. Look what he says in verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Can I say to you that Christmas isn't just about gifts under a tree. It's not just about a babe born in Bethlehem. It certainly is that. It does have to do with a cradle. But understand it has to do with a cradle that held one who was destined to wear a crown of thorns who was destined to carry a cross. This same Isaiah, who is talking about the wonders of this one, who will be known as our wonderful counselor, the mighty God, our forever father, our prince of peace, just a few chapters later says, for Jesus grew up before the father like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, all of those famous paintings of the masters of years gone by, all of those great portraits that we see in the family Bible of Jesus always looking so sweet and clean and so white. That's another topic altogether always with an ever-present halo about his head and every hair in perfect place. He looked nothing like that. 
He was despised, Isaiah said in chapter 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. We did not give him the respect and the credit for who he was. But surely he has borne, he has carried our griefs He has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought all of us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Yet all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his and her own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Because he is our forever father, he has forgiven all of our sins completely. But the second thing it means It means that he knows us thoroughly. He knows us thoroughly. Do you remember verse 14 of Psalm 103? For he knows our frame. That means he knows how we are formed. Scientists have been trying to figure that out for centuries. How is the human Life, the human being, the human body formed. Where does life come from? What is that spark? How does that happen? Understand you and I know the answer, and it's God and God alone. He knows how we are formed, and let me tell you something about your life. You come with the Maker's instructions. Your life is not your life to live like you want to. The maker has some instructions for you. You have a sell-by date assigned to your life. You have a shelf life. The other bookend marking the end of your life is already in place. It may be today. It may be tomorrow. It may be years, decades down the road, but it's already in place, and there's nothing you can do to change it. This life is temporary. It is like a vapor that comes off the top of the tea kettle. Now you see it, now you don't. We're not just drifting around meaninglessly and haphazardly. I was going to read to you Psalm 139. You need to read it for yourself. You're familiar with it. It talks about how the Lord searches us and how he knows us, how he wove us together in our mother's womb, how he knew every bit of our substance even before we were formed. He knows us completely and thoroughly. And number three, it means he loves us endlessly. He loves us endlessly. He forgives us completely. He knows us thoroughly. And he loves us endlessly. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, 
and abounding in steadfast love. And I suppose just about every human relationship that we know, love has a limit. Love has a limit because we are people of limits. Sooner or later, love for a spouse may fail because of infidelities or hurts that people just cannot get over. Perhaps even love or mercy for a wayward child can cause us to just give up out of our brokenheartedness. Friendships finally fail over time or or other circumstances. But the Lord is abounding. He is overflowing in steadfast love. Our Father forever is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And look at verse 17 of Psalm 103. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting. He loved you from eternity past, and he loves you to everlasting, to eternity in the future. He loved you before you drew a breath. He knew you and loved you before he created the universe. This elder brother of ours was a forever father to us, a big brother to care for us, provide for us, to protect us. How can that not be a word of comfort and encouragement in this Christmas season? When there are those for whom family life has been a disappointment at best, maybe a disaster at worst. For those people who have wanted to give up on the Lord and give up on church because religion has left them disenchanted, here is a forever father. Here is one who, like a shepherd, is not content with the 99 being safe within the fold, who still leaves them there to go out and find the one who is still outside the fold. How can they not be encouraging to the father who was hurt so deeply by the abandonment of his young son, the prodigal, who went away and wasted his substance and wasted his life and who came back home and the answer is not that that young man saw uh, the need to repent and come home. He was wanting to come home and be a servant, but he was a father who never stopped looking for him. And when he saw him dirty and broken and beaten far down the road was the one who ran to him and embraced him in his arms and kissed him on the cheek and put a cloak on his back and put a ring on his finger and threw a party because he had come home, because not that the son so much had repented as much as the father had found him. That's what the scripture says. My friends, this is the story of the gospel. And Christmas is the story 
of the gospel. He is our forever father. And the fact that he would love us like that, take care of us like that, when we have chosen to ignore him, when we have chosen to pursue other things, when sometimes we show absolutely zero interest in him, he is the one who still pursues us. And it leaves us with this key truth. The human heart longs for an endless love. An endless love. And sin breaks every love relationship. Death changes them forever in every instant, instant except one. And that is the endless love of a forever father. Nothing will ever change how Jesus feels about you and how he cares about us. Well, that is the celebration of this season. Take out your communion cups. I'll give you a second to go ahead and peel away the cover to get the bread from the bottom side. Do it first. If you open up the other part and turn it over, you're going to have a problem. Now, once the bread has been removed, you can peel away the top. What a wonderful opportunity we have this Christmas season as God's people with our brother Christ being our forever father to celebrate his sacrifice for us. And as I said, it wasn't just about a cradle, it was about a cross that would ultimately lead to a crown. But Jesus gave us an ordinance. He gave us what some call a sacrament, a way to remember that through experiencing uh, the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine together, we're reminded of his body and his blood that was shed for us. When he was at the last supper, the table with his disciples around in Matthew 26, he says, I will drink this cup with you today as a reminder. You need to do it as a reminder of my sacrifice. But there's coming a day I'll take it with you in my Father's kingdom. And we anticipate that day. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. As our musicians are coming, they'll lead us in one more song. Jason will speak a blessing from Scripture over this church family. And we offer up this simple prayer to the Lord. Father, what we know not, we pray that you would teach us. 
what we have not, we ask that you would provide for us. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.